Anyway, we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Um, Brian, of course, is our trusted advisor uh, on financial matters. Brian, a very good morning to you. Yeah, Kathy, good morning to you. I saw the price, the expected price of petrol um, for next month. I mean, for next month, yes, it is next month, not next week. For next month, Brian, it's not looking good. It's not looking good at all. Well, it's not, looking, it's not looking good at all because in the next few days we're going to see whether we're going to get another half a percent rate increase, which means all working South Africans who've got debt and 99.9% of working South Africans, colour irrespective, white, black, who work, probably have a bond on their home and probably have have received finance for a motor car because you can't buy you, those two are essential today mm-hmm. and you can't very few people can afford to pay cash so that cost is going to go up and then for all other consumers and anyone who drives and anyone who uses transport petrol prices are going to go up and the spillover onto the taxi cost the cost i mean 67 percent of south africans use taxis to get to work and then you think about even further along the line goods being transported by trucks you see these trucks on the road they're using petrol and that raises and the, the the price of those goods so all in all it's very very uh, costly and inflationary so the governments are now trying to push up interest rates to put a break on our economy and it's very strange for me because I understand putting a break on the American economy. Mm-hmm. The American economy, since COVID came into bout and all the stimulus and all the bond buying in the American, all over Europe and all over Japan and China, their economies were getting off the ground. Our economy has been in the doldrum for years. Whilst we have great companies in South Africa with great leaders, Consumers have been stretched for years, and even with interest rates being at the lower levels, it gave consumers a little bit of a breathing space. But again, for many, it didn't give them a breathing space. They weren't able to accumulate more money to put aside for these higher costs. So it's a very alarming situation in South Africa. And, you know, you can talk as much as, you know, ultimately you've got to deliver. I mean, you've got electricity prices going up on the 1st of July. Uh, Medical aids, I mean, Discovery are pushing up their medical aids on the 1st of October and all across the board. I mean, I read an article on the weekend. Uh, sunflower um, oil has gone up from a, on a five-liter bottle. And strange enough, I asked a few people in my office how much does five-liter uh, 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 oil cost. None of them really knew, but it's going up from 138 rand to 177 rand. That is an increase of virtually. 28 to 29 yeah. percent. I mean, and, and, and that's just one of the essentials. So it, it, you know, it, it just means people are going to have to pull their belts in tighter. And, and I'm not sure, you know, we talk about government creating employment. We talk about all the things happening. We, it's easy to talk strategy, but delivery is the hardest. And then we have load shedding and, and, and the mood of the people in the country, you know. The, the mood of the people dictates what's actually happening. And all these things, you know, getting home an hour or two later with all the South Africans who use transport and taxis and with all the traffic lights going out and, and the big traffic, it just changes one's lives. And yeah. so it's, it, it's a, it has a cascading effect, all these, mm. these, 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 these rate increases and higher prices. You know, Brian, I was thinking about uh, just at the onset of that um, invasion in Ukraine, and some of the predictions about where the oil oil price was likely to go. There were some predictions that said we could well sit at 40 rand a litre. And it seemed absolutely ridiculous then. 
But when we look at the rate of increases that are taking place, some in the back of my mind, I'm like, are, are we actually going to get there? Is that where we're going, Brian? When you say 4,400. No, for 40 rand a litre of Oh, petrol. to our petrol. Yes. yes. Well, look, we sh- the oil price was in the 50s and 60s, and the oil price is now hovering around 110, 113, with the possibility of it going higher. I mean, the talk was when it started, oil's going to be $200, $200 a, a barrel. Well, can you imagine a $200 a barrel? We will be paying 35 to 40. And even if government uh, gives us gives some rebate back mm. to the, to the to the fuel companies, it's really a, a problem. A problem, and with and at the same time, you've got all these interest rate rises. So consumers who are working are stretched, and those, as I've said, who aren't working, where are they getting their money from? You know, you see more and more people on corners. They're not sitting on the corners because they're lazy. That's a long day to sit on a corner mm-hmm. asking people to give you money as they stop at a traffic light is not an easy day. Getting up and asking, it's also it's also demeaning. But people do it because they've got no choice. So it's a long, long day. And all these things, I, I, I don't know where the solutions are going yeah. to come from. Uh, and when we talk about government working with, with, with business, I mean, hopefully, you know, we, we have all this talk. We have the mining in Darba. Well, we need to see action. We need to see all the strategy translated mm-hmm. into actual events and to action and all the holdups and and the and the developments it's 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 very very frustrating brian the difficulty now is that we're really in the thick of it and whatever interventions are there i don't know if they're going to make a difference at least not in the immediate term um you talk about you know that 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 rebate that came off of the fuel price levy that ends at the at the end of may so this increase of uh, you know, over one rand that is expected to come in, we're probably going to feel the full brunt of that. Let's get to our topic for today, Brian. I know you wanted to just to start with some of the issues that have been outstanding from the last couple of weeks. And we talked about divorce. It was a big issue um, and a, a number of questions raised. I think it was about two weeks back that, that, that there were questions about um, divorce that, that were asked to you from one of our listeners, especially over who gets what and in a cruel system. Yes, I, I, we dealt with divorce, although the question related to what happens to divorce to your pension or provident fund mm. and the distribution of that pension and provident fund. Just a few comments I'd like to add to that discussion. Can't go back into that whole discussion. It was the whole morning. But when the divorce is made part, part um, order of the court, the spouse who's not the member of the fund must immediately transfer their funds to their own preservation fund. You don't leave it in your husband's pre- or wife's preservation fund okay. because on on their retirement, you will only get your share at date of divorce. So you must transfer it. Otherwise, years later, you will suffer. And if it, and if it has already been made an order of the court and after the parties wish to agree Let's assume you've got the order of the court, and now you've got a you still in, you've got a, some relationship, with the husband and the wife, and one's got an investment, and the one's got a, one uh, says, "I'll give you my investment, but now forfeit the divorce order." Mm-hmm. Very simply, they can agree to that if they've not taken it previously, and they can set it off against another investment. That's but but this cannot be just be done because no session granted. You can't grant a session on a pensionable. 
So if you haven't, if you and your husband have divorced and you have an agreement to get those funds at some stage down in the future, you must get that money into your name now. And if you wanted to amend in the agreement, then they would have to readjust their entire divorce agreement. Sure. So on divorce, separate the 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 the, the uh, a pension or provident fund values as agreed in the divorce don't leave it in the hands of the one spouse move it to the other spouse all right so basically and you when you move it to a preservation fund it's tax neutral okay. but then all the future growth is for you mm. and 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 not for the the spouse who may be holding the fund of course the difficulty is that if you leave it in the account of the former spouse you only get what you were owed at the time of the divorce. So despite how much growth there may have been in that portfolio, you won't benefit from it. Yes, there would be two components that created the growth. One would be the future contributions, mm. which you obviously wouldn't be entitled to. But secondly, would be the performance in the of, of, of the fund itself. And that could be very material. Mm. So you must separate on divorce. You must make sure it's registered. The divorce order uh, is fully clear. The, the, the insurance company, the pension fund is not only noted uh, um, about the divorce agreement, but the pension fund w- that is noted in the divorce agreement, the actual name of the company and the uh, pension fund number. Everybody must walk away with their slice of the bread effectively. Yeah. That's why divorce is so painful, I guess. Well, you know, you've got two families coming to, you've got one family living and on divorce, you've now got two families living. Yeah. You've got children living, you've got two homes. You know, it's not, a, it, divorce is not cheap. Mm. There are no winners. They're only losers, but, you know, but it happens. And, you know, better to be a loser and have a reasonable lifestyle than to be trapped in a relationship where, you know, you're abused and your lifestyle is not mm. what you want it to be. And then there are the children to consider. Here, here, Brian. All right, you also <laughs> had a question about John Steenhazen going to Ukraine and the effects of life uh, assurance for that trip. Did, was that a question from one of our listeners? Yeah, the question was, uh, you asked me on radio, and says, whether you have life and disability insurance policies, could it be repudiated if an inter- individual knowingly goes into a war zone or troubled spot territory? He was actually referring to John Stiernosen, the DP who had gone to Ukraine. Well, I must tell you, I know that policies have exclusions. And I know one of the exclusions is definitely if you commit suicide within first two years of taking out that policy. Maybe some policies are three years. I also know if it's, if it's self-inflicted injury, particularly under disability policy. So I made some inquiries and the answers I got is you are expected to tell your insurers if you go into a war zone as that does affect the risk. You should notify them and then... and. And they have all the requirements in what they term call their terms and conditions. If you don't know, because uh, they could repudiate the claim. So I'm always saying to anyone, who's anyone going into a hot spot? Uh, we know Ukraine is a hot spot. Do we know uh, Afghanistan? Just check with your insurers, both from a death and a disability point of view. Are there any conditions under your policy where a claim could get repudiated? All right. Um, also, uh, lots of people looking for advice on this issue of debt counselling, and that's always an ongoing one, Brian. Uh, people are always battling in terms of managing their debt. Yes, and, and let me say this to you. you. You should not be embarrassed to have to use a debt counsellor. 
simply the National Credit Act set, set this up some years ago where individuals could get hold of a debt counsellor. I think the important thing on getting hold of a debt counsellor that once you've registered as being under counsel, your debt your legal action gets stopped being taken against you. Uh, and therefore, the pressure is off you for that moment of time. Uh, I know of a situation where the, the, the in particular individual was paying an enormous amount of debt. Her salary was around about 40,000, 50,000 rand a month. 32,000 was going across um, to pay off debt that had accumulated after the death of a husband who hadn't left insurance. It was costing her 23,000 a month. She was coming out short. She went into debt counselling. The, the debt has now been extended uh, for longer periods. She's now only paying 11,000 rand to debt. She's got enough to live on and at least the pressures off her where people are phoning her mm. all the time to ask for money. So it's always advisable, firstly, to contact your credit provider first to try to resolve the outstanding credit before you go for debt counselling. Always talk to people you owe money. And I've said this before, don't just push it under the carpet. If you owe money, they will find you. They will send you letters. They could get garnishing orders. They could do all different things. Speak to them. See what the attitude. Only approach a death counsellor if you cannot get help from your major uh, credit provider. Because often the credit provider will provide you with some help. Uh, if, uh, now, if you're earning below, and I couldn't get the exact figure, it was two and a half thousand, and it appears to be three thousand. Because I must tell you, it's quite difficult to get hold of the national credit, credit re regulator, and they've said that if it's if you if you're earning below two and a half to three thousand, the, the national credit regulator has set up a fund to pay for your debt counselling fees, and you need mm -hmm. to inquire from your debt counsellor when you first take on that debt counsellor. The rem remember, the debt counsellor must always disclose the fees up front to you before you, 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 before you even go ahead with any debt counsellor. They are costs. They they're, uh, they're not philanthropists. They they're do doing it for, it for a business. But they can take an enormous stress. Can you imagine mm -hmm. someone who, who's get, getting pressure to pay 20,000 rand a month? They don't have it. They have to pay a debt counsellor some money to negotiate for them, and they get it down to 5,000 rand, but for much longer. Takes the pressure off you. Mm -hmm. Takes the pressure off your family. So and, and, and Brian, in, in as far as the, the costs for the debt counsellor, is it a once-off cost or do you find that it's like a monthly cost that uh, is almost um, – that is added into the the overall monthly installment that one will be paying? Yeah, I, th I think in some cases there's an upfront fee mm. for doing the work because there's work to be done and then there's an ongoing fee, which again is built into the overall fee. It, it's, it, it's, it's not uh, – you've got to do it, but it takes the pressure off. It's well taking the pressure off. Um, and then you also have the – you mentioned fees. You have the right to negotiate the fee. Mm. Um, exercise this right in most instances. Uh, there's more than one debt counsellor. You can speak to a few debt counsellors and you have a choice and use this as a negotiating tool. And then if a, if a debt counsellor insists on charging you an exorbitant fee, you have the right to approach another debt counsellor and then make sure you get – 
an agreement. Everything must be in writing between you and the debt counselor. Mm. What is your problem? What is the debt counselor going to do for you? How is he going to help you? What is he going to charge you? Uh, what reports is he going to give you? What contact? You need to know so that it's not just I've got a debt counselor. You need to be aware of the events. At, at, at which point um, can you change debt counselors? So especially if you're not happy with mm. the kind of service that you believe you're getting. I think you, in terms of that contract mm. that you enter into, it must be you can term. If you're not satisfied with what the debt counsellor has done, you can terminate. You probably will have to pay fees up to that date and then with the new debt counsellor, carry on with, uh, with future fees. Okay. It, 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 it's not free. You talked about the interest rates potentially going up by 50 basis points. And we know that, you know, one of the biggest debts that we all sit with is our mortgage. And often we're not doing enough to negotiate those interest rates on our home loans, Brian. Well, look, understand that there are two types of debts, rates you can get. You get a fixed rate, which was always higher than the variable rate. The variable rate was lower, but the variable rate had the risk of interest rates rising. Now, we've had interest rates with another half a percent. We've had interest rates up one and a quarter percent. Now, one and a quarter percent, our, our rate was around about seven percent. So it's up at eight and a quarter percent. Mm. So that is approximately somewhere in, in, in the order of an increase of around about 15 percent. Let's just talk about the Americans. They were paying something like half a percent. They now paying two percent. So even though their rate is way below us, their rate is nearly fourfold. So we know we're near there. But I think interest rates are going to rise because there's, uh, the America, the Fed will reserve, which dictates to the world, the economy, and gives a direction of interest rates. Looks like they're going to push up rates by at least another 2 to 2.5%, which will bring it back to where it was before COVID. Mm. But I think we're going to get those rates in our, in our, into our uh, uh, rate market. And I think people can be expected to pay rates for bonds of closer to 9, 9.5% mm. as compared to 7%. So if you've got a bond, uh, it does cost money to cancel the bond with one institution and go to another. But remember, it's a cancellation fee up front. You, need to, you can speak to the institution. Let me make this point about applying for a bond. Before applying for a bond, you must improve your credit score. You must make sure you've got a good credit rating. The higher, then, the, higher the deposit you put into the property, the low will be, will be the rate. There are organizations that are called bond originators, and you can Google them. Just Google www bond originators, who will shop around for you to get you the best bond. They don't charge you for getting you the best bond, but if they place the bond for you, they will earn a fee. But they will look around the market to see what bond. Also, also, also stay and understand that when buying a property, mm. it comes with other hidden costs. You've got to put deposits down for electricity, for water. You've also got rates and taxes and, 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 and municipalities. And then remember, if you're a good customer, in other words, if your, credit, your financial rating is good, then you're going to pay less for your bond. If your fi financial rating is not good, then you're going to pay more. So have a look at your financial rating. If you're up to date with all your accounts, you've got bigger deposits, uh, you, your, 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 your bond cost 
is a lot less than a quarter of your salary, mm-hmm. then the banks will be, be because the the banks have got that security of your earnings. You could even get a bond rate. It's very important because. Property prices have not picked up, and the and pr- the property prices at the lower level in the markets, anything between seven hundred and fifty thousand and two two million, uh, is. There is sales being done there, but if you need a bond, you want to get the best possible rate. And so understand you need to do some homework before. Don't just go in with no credit rating, with with really very little to put down uh, and expect to get the best possible bond rate. It is the highest cost. Mm -hmm. It's the highest cost that you will likely have secondly to your medical aid. When it comes to how much money one should be putting down in their bond as as a form of deposit i mean are these percentages that you think um people should be working around because sometimes the conversation is that okay well um should i be putting x amount of money into my bond or should i rather be uh, investing that money perhaps on you know uh, Satrix or whatever, where it's likely to gain a bit more returns. Okay, just understand, mm. for you, anyone to put money into Satrix, they first have to pay the tax, earn the money and pay the tax. First pay the tax on their earnings and then invest. In a bond, you're not getting any tax deduction. Mm. But you're getting the same You're getting the same rate that your bond is costing. In other words, if, if you take a bond and you take a 100% bond and they charge you 9%, and I take a bond and, and I put down 100,000 and they charge me 9%, I'm actually getting 9% on the 100,000 because I, I've saved that money by because I'm not now paying my bond. At these levels, it's not a bad rate to put as much into your bond as possible. And then if you've got a bond, it's even advisable to pay more than what if you can. Mm. This is always about people who can. If you're looking, if if someone comes to me and says they want to save 30 or 50,000, should they buy Satrix? Look, it's about all. You should have both because you can't just have a home and not have investments. But if you're looking for both, then you should be thinking – if I put more into my bond every month, how much will that save me? You'll pay off your bond so much sooner. All right. It's 10.30. We're going to go to the latest news headlines with Luanda Maume. I'll take your calls for Brian, 011-714-2006. That's the number to dial this morning. I'll also take some of your WhatsApp questions and voice notes on 614 The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch. Making sense of your finance. Let me take your calls. Kick it off with Sebastian in Cape Town. Good morning, Sebastian. Yes, good morning to you both. Hi. Um, Haven't heard from you in a while, Sebastian. Good morning. Hello, Sebastian. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's the way life goes, but uh, good to hear you both. Well, Sebastian, um, can I ask you a question? Yes. How many years do you think you've been phoning in on our program? Uh, probably getting on for 30. 30 wow. years. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. May, nice to hear your voice. What can we do for you? Uh, I'd just like to go into the issue of credit card monthly fees, whether they are excessive because the credit card mm-hmm. companies are making money on all your expenditure. So, you know, then why? Uh, what justifies a, a standard uh, high, fairly high charge uh, monthly, uh, you know, uh, in addition to all that. I'm a 70-year-old and I'm paying 55 rand a month on my uh, net bank credit card. And um, a part of this, what I want to raise is that uh, whether, in addition to whether fees are just too high for credit cards, why there are no 
um, senior age persons discounts you do get on bank accounts uh, from the same institution, but on credit cards, I've never seen anything offered in the way of reduced charges for seniors. Mm. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's something that, Brian, with your clout, you could look into. <laughs> All right. Th- th- thanks yeah. for that question, yeah, Brian. But just an interesting one on the question, by the way, you know, uh, the, the, the interest rate you pay on a credit card for an unpaid balance on a monthly basis, you get about 55 to 56 days free credit from the first purchase you make at that cycle. Mm. But if you don't pay the f- credit card in full, your rates are anything between 14 to 16% and going up. But, but Sebastian's right. Why should you be paying credit card fees if you're already every time you use your credit card the credit card is benefiting from a discount from that supplier so he's absolutely right but let me make two other comments if you draw cash on your credit card you pay exorbitant fees and if you pay for petrol on your credit card it's equivalent to paying for cash and it also incurs really yeah it also incurs why because it's it's because petrol is a cash payment in store payment you could get terms and all the time petrol you pay on your credit cards there may be one or two you don't but i'd be interested to know so just bear that in mind that petrol is treated as cash i did not know that look at your credit card when your oh, next statement so, so, comes so, so, so i guess it's better to use these uh discount rewards programs definitely that some of the institutions yes. offer yes. okay um anonymous good morning good morning Kitty. how are you i'm all right i'm good thanks um, I just have a question, right? It's, it's with regard to um, the, the, the debt rescue. Yes, debt um, counselling. Debt counselling, yeah. that, yes. Um, myself, I'm in debt counselling, and um, I just want to just find out that will it be possible for me in future, if let's say I've already done completing my debt and all of that, will I still be able to apply for, for like me for, for bonds and mm-hmm. also be able to also get a credit again and will my credit score will still be oh I mean will this affect my credit score or is it just something that um once I've done completing pay my debt I will still be taken back to the system of Yes, you will be taken back to the system. Whether you'll still get as high a rating as you had before you went into debt counselling, think about it. I'm you're in debt counselling. I'm not. Uh, you come back. I've always had a first class uh, a credit check. I probably would have a slightly better. But but when you come out, when you're finished, you have to make sure that you get all the necessary documentation from the cre- your credit who, from the people you owed money to confirming that everything has been paid off and your debt counsel needs to make sure that you're back into the system without any mark against you uh, having been in debt counselling. Hello, Anonymous. All right, all the best. Uh, Let me go to Durban. D. Maharaj, good morning. Good morning, and and thank you guys for the lovely program as always. Mm. Um, so I have a bond, and I'm, I've been saving extra money in my bond every month. So now, I, you know, I've got I've got about halfway through paying off my bond, but I don't have any other investment, and I'm thinking about growing my money to save for my daughter's education. Should I take the money that I've saved up in my bond and invest that in Satrix? Do you think that will grow faster or should I focus on paying off this bond uh, in the next, say, three years, which is possible for me, and then start off 
uh, investing in Patrick's, etc. Well, well, firstly, Dee, congratulations to you. You know, you've been committed, girl. Halfway done with your bond. That's excellent. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, the, the important aspect, let me make this point, and I, I'm just going to make because I didn't say it previously. When you're paying more into your bond, you need to inform the bondholder that you are actually paying more off into your bond and that it's so that it goes off against the capital otherwise they accumulate in your bond at the at a low rate of interest so i'm sure you've done that because you said you've paid off half your bond well if you're paying off more to your bond why don't you now because you've paid off half uh, because in three years time you've lost out on the power of compound interest for your daughter how old is your daughter She's eight. Yeah, so you want to be putting money away for her. Are you overpaying on your bond? Are you paying more into your bond now than you should? Yes. Okay, why don't you reduce that a little bit and start putting that extra money? Don't take money out of the bond now. Start, just, uh, redu- just reduce what you're paying on a monthly basis. Uh, you don't have to go back to the minimum amount, but you can reduce it and then put that into a satrix for her for uh, probably you're talking about tertiary education. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so you've got 10 years. Then you've got a 10-year time horizon, 10-year window. You want to be invested in growth growth assets, so you want a combination of a growth portfolio, both local and offshore. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate the advice. Thank all, you so much. Tom. All the best. Dee Maharaj Thank out you. in Durban. Uh, Brian, I've got a message here for you. Hi, Kathy. I was under debt review, was paying every month. Debt review didn't pay FNB for my bond. I ended up losing my property, which was loaned for uh, 500,000 Rand. It was sold for only 150,000 Rand. I'm still paying for the balance. Please advise me. I sure. don't deserve this. It's hectic, eh? You definitely don't deserve yeah. it. Firstly, have you, have, you, have you been to talk to the National Credit Regulator who originally gave permission for such an individual to be a debt counsellor? I think the bank, you know, the banks, if you own money, the banks are are absolutely ruthless. They're not interested in the value of your property. They just want to cover their debt, whatever amount is owned. And if that's what they put it on the market for, and that's what they got, I think you, I think you, I, I'm really saddened by the story of yours. I tell you what, please, uh, can I, can we, our, can we, our producer just take your phone number? I'd like to know a little bit more about this. I'd like to know about the bank. I'd like to understand because this is really a sad situation that you found yourself in. So thank you for that call. We'll take you back now. Uh, my producer will give me your phone number. And during the course of the next week, I'll give you a call. All right. Um, one last question for you, Brian. Uh, I've heard that when you're under debt review, you are unable to enter into new contracts. I've received uh, questions where I've been asked if I'm under debt counselling and have wondered what would change if I were. So can this hamper your progress? Definitely can hamper your progress because you've admitted I'm unable to pay my debt. I'm paying my debt off uh, slower than originally uh, planned. And I don't think you could enter into it. You'd have to disclose it. And I don't think anyone would give you credit because under the National Credit Act, the rules are very clear. 
the person lending you or giving you credit has to be satisfied mm. that you are a person of in good standing and that you can actually pay the debt back. So if they actually give you debt, you may be in a position where if they come to you afterwards and you say, well, I can't pay you back and they didn't do a proper credit check on you, they would have no recourse against you. So I think it would be unlikely that any reasonable institution would give you credit while you're under debt review. All right, Brian, your contact details? 011 And before I go, someone called me last week, the week before last on radio, with a life policy that had not been paid out for a parent. They never gave the, they never called my radio line and left a number, or if you did, you didn't leave the message or the area you were phoning from. So please Zero one one double eight zero four triple eight. I certainly would like to help that person, particularly where the life policy was not paid out. And the other caller regarding the situation of the bank selling your property, five hundred thousand rand property for one hundred and fifty rand. Absolutely brutal. Call me. All right. Thanks for that, Brian. Always a pleasure. We'll talk finance again with Brian Hirsch next week, Tuesday.